Hi, I'm Manuente Reme. That's Unam Imneritni backwards. And I played Echeb on Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Show the side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host Bill Smith, and welcome to episode number 106. We're very excited to have this discussion we're going to have tonight, and of course, by we, I do mean my incredible co-host. You wouldn't know it, but he was raised in the minds of Remus. He was the clone of a lesser human. And as a result, really never made it out of the mines. And I think he's still down there mining for whatever they do. He's the very lackluster and um, uh, mining Dan Davidson. And unfortunately, he's mined for this podcast. Welcome aboard, buddy. They broke my jaw. They broke my nose. Hi. Wow, another great introduction. I I just look forward to it every week, like um, like people who text in their car and drive at the same time. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's time for the procedure. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was good. I like that. You should do that Thank for Ron you. Perlman in Vegas. I don't think we're going to get the chance to do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably get escorted out. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, buddy, um, for those who may not have guessed or, or looked at the title of the, uh, the episode today, we're going to talk about um, the last feature film to feature the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation? Yes, uh, we are. Um, are we excited about it, Bill? I know I am. I am actually looking forward yeah, to this. It's going to be a good conversation. Of course, the last uh, motion picture with the TNG cast was Star Trek Nemesis, Tom Hardy. Uh, was that his first appearance in the movies uh, in Nemesis? It wasn't his first movie, no. Okay. Um, it almost was his last, though, and we'll probably get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, what we liked, what we didn't like, and um, we'll see where that takes us there, won't we, Bill? We sure will. It's hard to believe uh, that came out in 2002. Wow, 15 years. Yeah, 15 years since Nemesis. Hard to believe. Wow, that is hard to believe. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk all about it tonight. woo Hey. <laughs> well, Dan, uh, one thing you might be a little more excited about is to tell those listening how they might be able to get in touch with us. And if you could uh, regale the listeners with that information, I'm sure we'd all think that's exciting. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. On Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, and Instagram, Bill, we are at Trek Geeks. Uh, you can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com or give us a call at 508-784-1701 to leave us a voicemail. You can do the same thing at speakpipe.com 
slash trekgeeks. As always, our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, is available for you to join. Just go right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. Heather, Jackie, or Dan will let you write in so you can partake in all the fun. And as an extra bonus, just because we love you, we're going to give you early access to every episode of the Trek Geeks podcast before they are released to the general public. So that is pretty awesome. But you have to remember... Any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. That that sounds really exciting. It, wasn't it? I know, right? I, lo- I love comments. <laughs> comments are good. Comments are very Except good. Except bad comments. Bad comments are bad. I have lots of bad comments for you all the time. Your face is a bad comment. Dan, it's time for the news from our good friends at treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant for all the news on all the Star Treks. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. Dan, first up this week, there is... I, I don't know how to describe this news other than huge. <laughs> and it's from our friends at Star Trek Continues. Yes, absolutely huge news. The Twitter exploded just a couple of days ago when the announcement came down that John DeLancey, yes, the John DeLancey, will be guest starring in Episode 9, which is going to premiere the last weekend of July at Florida Supercon. Oh, my God, Bill. Wow. <laughs> I, I I I don't I don't have words. It's it's just amazing. On top of that, huge news. Um, episode nine, which will be called "What Ships Are For," is also going to guest star Anne Lockhart, which you may remember her from the original Battlestar Galactica as Sheba, as well as a multitude of other roles that she has uh, had over the years. Um, and just as exciting in all of this news is that STC alum Kipley Brown, who plays Lieutenant Smith, actually wrote this episode, and from the things that we've heard it is going to be a doozy of an stc episode i cannot wait to see this that's just three huge factors right there that i'm already loving this episode i haven't even seen it yet we know it's going to involve the planet set yes (laughs) finally (laughs) yeah i can't i can't wait i um john dude john delancey you know and he's real, not playing Q. No, he's not Q. He's going to be a completely new character from what we've heard. But, you know, they are pulling out all the big guns for these final three episodes. It's so bittersweet, but it's so exciting at the same time. He is going to uh, – I, I can't even ex- express how excited I am to see him in an STC episode. Oh, man, would it have been nice to be on the set during those few days. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. I am so jealous of everybody going to Florida Super Supercon. Yes, absolutely. I really am. Yep. I, uh, I, I can't get here soon enough. It's all I got to say. And the poster looks phenomenal, too. They released the poster as well. And uh, another great job. And um, I, I kind of have a feeling that might make one of our album covers in the near future. What do you think? Um, you can't prove that. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Dan, moving on, there was a very cool review of the new Star Trek Bridge Crew game that came out this week. You know, the new VR thing yes. where 
essentially you get to really be on the bridge of the Enterprise. And our good friend Claire Little was one of the reviewers. Yes, she was. Uh, It was quite an interesting uh, video of a group of people actually uh, going to Ubisoft. Was that how you pronounce it? Ubisoft? I think so. Um, The offices in San Francisco to get a hands-on demonstration of this uh, first virtual reality Star Trek game. You get to pilot a ship what looks like to be in the Kelvin universe uh, in one area of the game. And then in another area, you are actually on the original NCC-1701. It looks glorious. And I'm starting to think that I have to buy whatever gaming system this is going to be running on because I might just have to buy this. So all your friends are doing it. You'll be cool. Everyone will like you. Is it that kind of thing? It's not that because I don't think I'll ever be cool, especially not as cool as you, but just the chance to, you know, helm or security on the original Enterprise and the 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 amazing thing about virtual reality is I think it was Claire that they showed a little clip of Claire from what she was seeing and she started laughing and you saw her little computer hand come up and like just like go right in front of the the lens because she was scratching her nose in real life. It's that realistic. It does whatever your hand gestures are. So I can't wait to try it. It's it really looks interesting. VR has come a long way. I've got a few hand gestures for you. (laughs) I'm sure you do. I I was waiting for something like that. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Dan, speaking of, uh, of gestures, um, looks like there's a collectibles alert for this coming summer, especially with, uh, San Diego comic-con and you got, uh, you got the details. I do the deets, so to speak. Um, San Diego comic-con is, uh, rapidly approaching as is STLV. And um, Hallmark is going to be releasing a convention-only ornament for those two conventions. Bill, it's from your favorite TNG episode, I think. It's the Enterprise-C with battle damage. Now, I love the Ambassador class. I really do. Oh, I know. It's a beautiful design. I I think it's what the Enterprise-D should have been because it perfectly bridges, I think, the original series and the next generation. Oh, I agree. I've always, I thought the Enterprise C, the first time we saw it come through that rift, I'm like, oh, that is a nice looking ship. So it's, it's, I'm glad they're finally, uh, uh, doing one and th- we'll actually be able to get one because we don't usually get to go to San Diego Comic Con, but we'll be at Vegas. I'm going to be in that line as soon as it's open because those are probably going to sell out pretty fast. I would agree with you. And there's a there's there's more stuffs too. There is more stuffs. There's some cool stuffs. Um, people who are familiar with some of the badges uh, and and stuff that QMX puts out will probably be really excited to see that they are coming out with a one sixth scale TOS captain's chair replica with lights and sounds, and it it turns and swivels. Uh, it looks glorious as a certain Klingon might say it's going to be eight inches tall it's going to be 129.95 and should be out kind of by the fall is what they're saying right now and it can be pre-ordered right now um it's really really sweet and that might look really nice sitting on one of our desks if not both um I'm just not going to pick it up because I'll just drop it if it's on your desk yeah you have a habit of doing that you know, I wish that this thing came with a Vic Mignogna action figure to sit in the chair. I'm sure we can probably get something <laughs> like that done. Uh, I don't know. That might result in a restraining order, I'm just saying. Cat has a 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, 
Dan, we are halfway to our goal in the Trek Geeks Cosplay for Good campaign to benefit the Nevada SPCA. Um, and I, this, this is really exciting. We're getting closer and closer to having to show off our sexy legs, my friend. It is very exciting. You know, hitting that 50% mark, which we did just today. Uh, we hit the $500 mark for the fundraiser. It was great to see that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. The closer we get, you know, I'm like, oh my God, we're actually really going to do this. We're going to be wearing scants from TNG season one on the biggest con day at STLV. And it's all for such a great cause. The largest no-kill animal shelter in the Las Vegas area. Can't wait to do it, man. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, Dan, the, the the key to this campaign for me is, and this is the part we can't stress enough, is that the money raised in this campaign is never going to touch our hands. You and I will never see it. All the money donated goes straight to the NSPCA, where it's going to do the most good for the adoptable animals in the greater Las Vegas area. Um, so, I, you know, we, we want people to, to rest assured that, you know, we're not just raising money for us. We're not, you know, going to put this into the podcast. We're not going to say we're building a studio or anything like that. Um, this money is going straight to the dogs, cats, and other animals that the Nevada SPCA has to adopt in their care. Um, and it's it's really exciting. I'm I, I can't wait to I can't wait to see how you look in your scant there, buddy. Oh, I'm I'm not going to look as good as you, man. You've been doing all that hard workouts lately, so it's going to be pretty awesome. But you know what else is awesome? It's the extra challenge that we have going on, the selfie challenge, which, as you know, and as our listeners know, for the first 100 selfies that people take with us in our scants at STLV and then tag us, excuse me, and tag the NSPCA, we're going to donate a dollar um, for every one of those selfies. And as we have mentioned, the G&T show is going to match that dollar. So that's $2 for a possible $200 extra going to the NSPCA. But, Bill, I don't think that's it. I think there's an alert coming in from the newsroom, Dan. Uh, we got an alert. We're going to go live to Bill Smith uh, at the studio. Bill. Thank you, Dan. I'm hearing just now from our sources in the field that Jim Morehouse from the Trek Ranks podcast has contacted us to say he will also match the $1 per selfie. So, Dan, now we're up to $3 per selfie for the first 100 at STLV. That is so that that's a bonus three hundred dollars. That's awesome. Three hundred extra bucks, thirteen hundred dollars possibly going to uh, this great cause. Uh, we can't do it without your help, and uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, get the word out. Have people uh, read up on on Bill's pup and my pups, and read all about the NSPCA. Uh, just go to uh, GoFundMe.com/slash/TrekGeeks for all the details, and we certainly thank you in advance. <laughs> Nemesis is your favorite Star Trek movie, right? Right. Just like yesterday's Enterprise is your favorite episode. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, now, now, we know that this is not our favorite uh, of the films. And as a matter of fact, we actually had a what is our least favorite film episode a while back. And I can't remember if I chose this or Star Trek V because I just – I I can't remember. But – I, I think eventually you you gave up and you agreed with me that it was generations and then you kicked yourself afterward for agreeing with yeah, me. I really don't. Does that sound right? I don't think that's right. But we're not, you know, we, there are good things about the movie and there are bad things. But I will say right up front as we get ready to discuss it, I have two pieces of paper in front of me, okay? 
One mm. thing I jotted down was the things that I didn't like about it. And one page is what I did like about it. And it's a three to one ratio, man. I'm not going to tell you what, though. Which is which? We're going to have to figure oh, really? it out. Yeah, we're going to have to figure that out. I uh, Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, so we posed the question to Camp Kittimer, our official Facebook group. Um, you know, for those of you who haven't joined yet, it's facebook.com slash group slash Camp Kittimer, as we mentioned at the top of the show. And we posed the question, Dan. We said, tonight we're recording an episode on Star Trek Nemesis. Do you like this movie? That simple. Yes or no question. You know, vote and then tell us why or why not. And the vote was actually very interesting to me. It uh, it was 37 yes and 25 no. Shocking. I am actually very shocked by that shocking. because the, the reputation that Nemesis has is that people universally pretty much hate it. Right. Well, I will say this. From a standpoint of being a Star Trek fan, there's nothing that I hate. I love them all. It's Star Trek. We have it. We can watch it sure, whenever sure. we want. But from... A sitting down and talking about a movie and bringing out its good points and its bad points, the results from the poll in Camp Kittimer really did surprise me. I did not, I expected it to be 85 15, uh, 85 95, 85 15, no versus yes. I was <laughs> shocked to see these results. You like that, didn't you? I did. That was pretty good. <laughs> did you have to bring up the calculator no, for that? No, I did that all in myself. <laughs> oh, good, good for you, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> I um I think the thing that surprised me the most were, you know, a lot of the comments, um, it generally, it's not great, but people don't dislike it. I mean, there are some who really love it, and I get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for some, it was their gateway into Star Trek. For others, it's just, you know, it's the, it's the fact that it's the last TNG movie, and there are some decent character moments in this movie, um, but... You know, I, I think I was really surprised by that. So it, it kind of forced me to to kind of take a step back and and rethink Nemesis today, you know, because I'll be honest, I've beaten it up over the last 15 years. I think that's what's great about what we do when we sit here and talk about a perfect example, Move Along Home. We've talked about this a couple of times. I bashed that episode of Deep Space Nine for years and years and years. We sat down, we talked about it. You asked me to give it another another. Uh, uh, viewing of it and see if I changed my mind. And it did. I, I like it a lot better than I remember liking it back in the day. Nemesis. It's, I don't know. It's going to be tough. So, so I watched it the other day and I, I had three very different reactions while watching the movie. And I, it, it almost broke into the, the, the three, you know, sections of the film. You know, if I look at it, if I divide it in thirds, almost, you know, evenly, the first third of the movie really is not bad. Mm -hmm. So you figure you have the opening scene on Romulus. And man, it is a it is a mass assassination of the entire Romulan Senate. I mean, that just kind of sucks you right in. It does. You need a big you need a big opening. And I actually one of the things I jotted down on my good page was the Romulan landscape and assassination of the Senate. That was yeah. brilliant. And I'm glad that we get to see that landscape later in Deep Space Nine um, in the episode that I can never pronounce, the Latin episode with Dr. Bashir. <laughs> um, but it's really great. We get to see Romulus for the first time. We actually, actually saw it in Enterprise as well. But um, it was great. And what happened? You don't expect that to happen, uh, what happened with the Senate. And it was, it was great. It was a very bone-chilling scene. And uh, it, that was a plus. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. You know, before people correct you, you do see Romulus in Unification. 
Yes, but you don't. Do you see that nice sprawling um, where the Senate is with the ocean it's behind? Not the it? same. Yeah, it's not the same. Right. It's not even remotely the same. It's the the artwork in in Nemesis is for that shot is just it's it's beautiful. Right, absolutely, it's, it's untouchable. So, and then you get to you know essentially the reception for Will Riker and Deanna Troy, and you have that moment with Picard, and I think there were times where that you see in that scene. Uh, a little back and forth between Picard and Patrick Stewart, you know, because he's Picard's not normally that warm. <laughs> See, that's interesting because I have a different take about that scene. Oh yeah. Let's hear it. I, I thought it was weak. I understand that he's going to, and actually let me preface it with saying this. I think a lot of the movies acting and a lot of it, I have to actually say with Patrick, as much as I love him seemed toned down or quiet, I guess might be the, the tired might be a way to look at, but that's not because of Patrick. I think that's because of what the script was. But yeah. in that particular scene, I didn't get the, the normal feeling that of Picard. It was more of a guy who kind of feels defeated that his crew is breaking up and it didn't come across to me as a scene that that I I really enjoyed that much. It was kind of it was kind of a eh for me. Interesting. I looked at it as uh, sort of a man who realizes he's at a transition. I mean, he's been with these people for the last 15 years and you know, his his war, his family is changing. I think the part of uh, of his speech that I enjoy the most is the part where he addresses Will and Deanna directly. You know, and honestly, I'm not going to lie, now that I watch it 15 years later, it gave me a little bit of emotion because he says to them, you know, you are my family. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Picard hasn't ever really embraced. I mean, he he left his home in Lavar, France. He did his best to get away from his brother. He only went back to his family when he was, you know, battered and broken by the Borg. Mm -hmm. Nice alliteration there. There you go. Hey, five points for me. Okay. And then... um. You know, he had some kind of relationship with them until obviously his brother and his nephew died in a fire in generations. <laughs> you know, so I think for him to say, you know, you are my family, I think it's a huge thing for Picard because, you know, as we talked about in our Generations podcast, you know, he, you know, could very well be the family man, but in, you know, in our reality, this is his version. I'll have to say that the message that Picard gives in that scene is a strong one. But I think where I have a not a problem with it, but the delivery left me wanting more, I think is the best okay. way to put it. One thing I oh, did like fair. about that wedding scene, though, was even though it was very, very brief, you got to see Wesley for a couple seconds. You got to see Guinan. It was good to have some finality there for some of the people that had been on the series back in the day. And Will Wheaton almost wasn't even in the movie. Right. I mean, and he's not there for long. Um, yeah, it was good <laughs> to see him in there a little bit. So, you know, a little tangent, the old Star Trek, the experience in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. they had that timeline of the, or the history of the future, that timeline yes. thing. And after Nemesis, they added on to the timeline and they added a photo of essentially the wedding party from Star Trek Nemesis. So essentially the crew. And on the far left side, I believe it was, was Wesley. And one of the Elkars bars, you know, which come, comes down and, and hits the timeline mm-hmm. at a right angle almost, pretty much draws a line right between... Will Wheaton and the rest of the cast. Wow. Nice. Talk about the subtle message there. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. You know, but in that first third of the movie, there are some 
some really decently written character moments that show some lighter sides because the rest of this movie gets pretty dark pretty quickly. Yes, both figuratively and literally, uh, I will yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's the wedding and there's the, the banter back and forth on the Enterprise Bridge about the wedding, which is kind of comical mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, you know, there's uh, before Picard takes the Argo out, he, he refers to, to Riker as Mr. Troy, which was good for a laugh when I saw it, yep. you know. Uh, um, the Argo. No, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, that I did like that. The, the word, it's always good. We see it in all the different movies, all the Star Trek movies, that there is going to be some comedy thrown in there. I thought that was one of the good parts of the comedy. And, you know, Mr. Wolf, a young strapping lad like yourself, that was that was good. And the Mr. Troy was good. You just said something, though, that, that we got to spend a little bit of time talking on, and that's the Argo. The whole concept of the Argo and the whole scene is just ripe with problems. It is... It is so bad. <laughs> I just, uh, first of all, the whole idea that, hey, look at there's pieces of a positronic, you know, of a positronic android on this planet in the middle of nowhere. And it's just so easy to dig them up and turn it into B4. I, I know it was a plant with shins on and all of that stuff, but I just felt that it was, it was poorly, poorly done. What about you? Um, uh, immediately what comes to mind is the huge prime directive violation <laughs> for the little, they, the little guys with the glasses. <laughs> they establish before they ever go down to the planet in the shuttlecraft that this is a pre-warp civilization. And so here they are driving all over in their little dune buggy, um, jumping it into a shuttle a la Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that was missing was Worf going yeehaw. Oh, you always you almost thought he would. I'm surprised he didn't get ejected out of that thing. The way that it was bouncing back and forth, and you saw from the far angles looking at the Argo as it was going over those hills, whatever that puppet or stunt man was in Worf's position was getting the hell beat out of him. <laughs> it looks like in one shot. And, and maybe this is just because of the way it's shot and the lighting. It looks like Michael Dorn is sitting in the back seat, you know, as you're looking through the front windshield with a helmet on his head that's made to look like a Klingon forehead. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and look at that. It just doesn't look quite right. <laughs> so, yeah, the thing that really bothers me about that scene is the huge prime directive violation. Yeah, it's great that there was a, a positronic signal or several of them. Why didn't they just beam them up? Right, and and that gets back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Is it a first contact violation or a prime directive violation because they're pre-warp? <laughs> well, a little bolt. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because they've shown this uh, society that hey, there's big flying things. Right, and and now they have they they only had concussive weapons. They weren't phasers of any kind. Is that right? If I remember correctly, as far as, as far as I can tell, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I know that they meant to do it because they were on a different planet. The lighting just didn't work for me. It was kind of it was kind of too distracting. It was incredibly stark. Stark is a good word. You know, it's uh, it just it blew your eyeballs out, mm. really, you know, if you think about it. Um, I think this is probably a good time to talk about the script for Nemesis. You know, it was written by John Logan, who at the time had just come off a, a huge, hugely successful, you know, movie for, uh, for Gladiator. Mm-hmm. You know, he won uh, he won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. So, you know, we have a movie here where the script was written by a guy who's won an Oscar. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, 
he won another one later for the aviator mm-hmm. you know he's he's been involved you know he's been nominated for you know for other movies so um he, he did the the script for for skyfall the bond film sure you know, years later so it, the guy certainly has talent but unfortunately with the script what we get is what seems at best to be not 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 a really cohesive story, and I think that really bothers me. It it not just you, man. It really bothers me too. Um, it was very disjointed, I thought at times, um, and it shows. And I think that's what we talked about. You know, the actors like I talked about Patrick Stewart specifically. <laughs> was it was it just he was trying to act the way he thought Picard was, or was it just like oh, there's nothing here to really get excited about? I I don't know. See, I, that's a criticism I've heard from some people, even in Camp Kittimer today. You know, the cast just seemed like they were mailing it in, but I never really got that sense. Um, I, I, that's just my take on it. I mean, I get that you guys do, but um, I just, I, I didn't think that, I don't think that Patrick seemed bored, you know? he's Yeah, to me, he did in several scenes. And the one that it was the worst for me, not to jump ahead, is the final scene with Shinzon. He looks so not interested in what was going on around him. It just, that whole scene failed on so many levels for me from, you know, the, the acting to what was actually going on in the scene with Shinzon sliding down the pole and all, all of that stuff. It just, but for me, Patrick as Picard just looked, was he defeated as Picard because he thought he was about to die or was it just, okay, let's get this over with type of thing. That's how I felt. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I, don't, I don't feel that way at all. So uh, that's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the Trek Ranks mo- mantra of no wrong answers. Well, that's true. I think one of the things yeah. that might have hurt the movie was, from what I've read and seen, the relationship between the director, Stuart Baird, and the crew was not that great, or the cast, I should say, was not that great. I mean, it's been reported at times that um, Stuart kept calling LeVar Burton Laverne. And I mean, that's, that's kind of like a respect issue, I think, that I'm sure didn't rub LeVar very well, if it's true. But I've read, I've read a couple of reports that that was the case. I, I've read that too. I think that you know, ultimately having Stuart Baird in the director's chair for this movie, I mean, the guy is a, a top notch editor in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of really how he, he came to be known and has directed some movies. I think he directed um, U.S. Marshals, which isn't with bad. Tommy Lee Jones. Yep. Not a bad movie. No. Um, but he, he clearly was the wrong choice for this. Ultimately, I, I think that they should have put Frakes in the chair for a third time sure. because Frakes did a great job with what they gave him both with first contact and insurrection. I agree. Anytime you got a joystick um, on the enterprise that you can fly it when they're through running from those bastards, it's a good thing. <laughs> a manual steering column, <laughs> not a joystick. <laughs> Not a joystick. You know, and I think there was, you're talking about that, that Stuart Baird and LeVar Burton bit. It's like, you know, it's not like LeVar is, is a nobody at this exactly. point. I mean, the guy won an Emmy in 1977. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yep. You know? And, um, and it, at this time, I'm sorry to interrupt, at this time, he's an accomplished director already himself doing several episodes of TNG and Voyager yeah. to that point, I believe. Yeah. So. Well, I'm sorry, he was nominated for an Emmy in '77. My bad. I, I thought he won. That's okay. Um, he did in my book. He did win. He did win plenty of of awards for reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> which were Emmys, <laughs> like ten of them, yes. if not more. Yes. 
Um, he had a Grammy, you know. So it's not like the guy is not talented. Right. I mean, you have to respect the people that you know that that you're going to. To, to work with, especially when they're the experts in this material. Sure. They've been doing it at this point for 15 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Stuart Bear, definitely a liability. Um, so we've got that part out of the way. So you know, we knew that we had to, those were kind of the elephants in the room for this movie. Um, you mentioned you had a list, you know, that was three to one. Do you want to tell me yet which list was which? Yeah, the, the things that I had problems with was the longer one. I think people would be able to tell from what we said so far. Um, and some of them are, are little issues, but they're issues nonetheless. Um, so we can go through some of them now, and I'd like to get your take on what you thought about these specific ones. Specifically, one of the ones, one of the things that's always bothered me about this movie, it's a bother, but at the same time, what we see is a positive. That makes any sense. I'll explain in a second. Is we've already had Deanna crashing the Enterprise once before, and yeah. she does it again. And it's like, okay, really? We can't do something new here? But on the same, on the other side of the coin, that special effects sequence of the Enterprise crashing into the scimitar was beautiful. I thought it was really, really nice. I like that a lot. You know, I have to say that there are a lot of exterior shots in this movie that are just gorgeous. Absolutely. That, that scene is phenomenal in the way it looks. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the space battle is the best space battle in Star Trek. It is. It's it's amazing. It's really great. One of the things I like the most is that in this, we did get to see it a little bit in the JJ movies because the special effects in that are very good as well in space. But when the ship crashes, they're in space. All of the, you know, what's it called? All of the pieces that are broken up, they all just kind of are hovering around. All the, I thought that was a very good part of that special effect sequence. It was realistic. I thought that was really yeah. good, but you're right. That that battle is is phenomenal. It's um, you know, we'd never seen anything like that before in Star Trek. You know, with the maneuvers and the phaser fires, mm-hmm. it was always just sort of two ships nose to nose shooting each other. Right, right. You know, um, I think of Star Trek Three with the the Klingon warbird. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the the skeleton crew Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of the other things that bothered me, some of them more so than others, was uh. I'm sorry. This the whole before thing is just I I it was just a thumbs down for me. Big two thumbs down. I didn't like it. I didn't like the whole idea of how they found him and what he did and how now all of a sudden he's going to be the new data this that and the other thing. I just I just didn't feel that that was a good part of the story. I would love to know how they were able to detect a positronic signal from that far away. <laughs> if that's the case, they should know where data is anywhere in the galaxy. At any time. Or lore. It's like, yeah, it's like Android Lojack. <laughs> <laughs> Lorejack. Hashtag. Lorejack, yeah. yes. Hashtag Lorejack. Has- hashtag Android Lojack. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I, yeah, obviously big problems with before. I mean, yeah. I, I think that I get why they, they decided to make him childlike. You know, on some level, it's because, you know, they had to show that he had the potential to grow and to date his memories. I get it. But at this point, and nothing against Brent Spiner, but Brent Spiner was already much older. Mm-hmm. You know, Data's not supposed to age. Right. And clearly Brent Spiner has aged. And so childlike before didn't really play well for me. And it started to to get under my skin as the movie went on, the way that he acted and, and the childlike part. Now... 
I'm not sure if they talked about this in an episode of TNG or in the movies or if it's something that I always wish they had that he developed some kind of aging program to account for how he looked older. But still, I think this is one of the key reasons why Brent has said he'll never play Data again is because he's too old now. Perfect example. Well, you figure in all good things, you know, Data had that gray streak in his hair, which he added Mm -hmm. to try to look more distinguished. But that was also, you know, an alternate version of the future because we know that's not how the future winds up. Looks like a bloody skunk. (laughs) Yeah, before, I I think unanimously, I think you and I are of the the mindset that it didn't work. But I want to talk a little bit about Shinzon. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And... I, I I think the problem. Now, don't get me wrong. I actually kind of like Shinzon, and I think that's going to surprise people. Um, I think Tom Hardy did a magnificent job with what they gave him, but the problem is what they gave him wasn't all that. Um, what's a good word? Intimidating. You don't know his motivation. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why he should want to destroy everything on Earth. And that's really the flaw in, in, in this storyline. There's no reason for him to go after Earth. There's every reason in the world for him to go after Picard, but there's no reason for him to want to destroy well, Earth. Well, that's an interesting question. Why is there a reason for him to want to go after Picard? I don't know why that would be the case. Because of his temporal RNA, which apparently is a thing in Star Trek. Because <laughs> um, he's going to die unless he doesn't get that. But that doesn't account for the hatred that he seems to have for Picard. That doesn't make any sense. I wasn't talking about the hatred. Oh, okay. I'm just talking about the conflict. Oh, okay. All right. I gotcha. You know, it, there's a reason why he needs Picard. Okay. That Yeah, that's better said. What I was going to say was I think the idea of him being a clone of Picard was not the right way to do Shinzon character. It could have been, it could have been different. I wish he'd just been a Romulan and not a human. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, or, or some derivation. I, I don't know, but... You know, when I look back at this movie, clearly Tom Hardy is in a different place in his career now. Mm. I think he's a much more versatile actor right now. Yes. You know, he's he looks more intimidating now. I mean, for for crying out loud, the guy was Bane. Are you? You know. Okay, I'm sorry, and I apologize for all the Batman fans. I didn't know that. I just you telling me that right now. I didn't realize that. You didn't know Tom Hardy was Bane nope. in The Dark Knight Rises? Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, he was Tom Hardy doing a really, really bad Sean Connery impersonation. Oh, never knew but that. he was Bane. Wow. <laughs> Hello, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, guy who talks to the crab. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, he's. I mean, what was the what was the movie he was in with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the woods with the bear? Um, that, wasn't it called The Bear or something yeah, like that? I don't that? know what it was, but when I saw the previews and they said, and starring Tom Hardy, I'm like, oh my God, that's the same guy who played Shinzon? He totally looks different now. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's he's clearly, uh, you know, he's matured as an actor, mm-hmm. you know, significantly. So I almost think that, I, I almost think he was miscast as Shinzon yeah. to some extent because he was so young. I mean, there's a, there's a very faint resemblance to Patrick Stewart based on the makeup they gave him. But still, I mean, Picard wasn't bald at that age, let's be honest. Right. I mean, we saw him in in, in episodes in the past and he had hair. Yeah. yeah. 
even as Patrick Stewart right. when they put the, the the rug on his head. Mm-hmm. But you know, so I I like the concept of the character Shinzon. I kind of like where some of this went. I just wish he hadn't been a, a clone necessarily. Right. Uh, and honestly, I like I said, I think Tom Hardy was miscast at that phase in his career. It's too bad. I mean, because there's been some behind the scenes where he's doing some rehearsals with Patrick Stewart and Patrick's in full uniform and everything. And and you can see that Hardy's really, really working the scene. Um, and, and I unfortunately think that what we saw in some of those behind the scenes footage didn't come across in the actual release, which was a shame. Now, one of you, one of the things about Shinzon that's always bothered me is how in the world would a human that was grown, that grew up in the mines on Remus and was tortured and this, that, and the other thing, how is it possible that this human would get so much support from the Remans so that he could build this gigantor starship and have the support, so much support that he's actually able to assassinate the entire Romulan Senate and become the new Praetor. It just seems a little bit too far-fetched. Yeah, there's a huge plot hole there. Yeah. Um, although I do like the idea of, well, when they first see the scimitar, you know, and they're doing the scans of it, and Picard just, you know, says, you know, it, it it's a predator, right? I mean, you you feel the palpable tension, like, you know, there's no way we can go up against that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kind of have to to talk to these people because um, that thing with its forty seven disruptor banks or however many it's got, um, it's just, you know, could decimate the Enterprise. Yeah. That's the sense I get in in Picard's voice at that point. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does seem shaken when he first sees that thing decloak, and the decloaking separate sections was kind of cool about the scimitar. I did like that. It really was. Yeah, it was very very cool. Now, on that same note about Shinzon getting all the support from the Remans, it was stated in the movie that the Remans were basically cannon fodder during the Dominion War. They didn't really have any stature. They're like the outcasts of the Romulan caste system. But right. they sure seemed to um, be able to – he sure was able to get support behind him so much so that he was able to overtake the Romulan uh, government. With that being said, what did you think about the Remans themselves? Ron Perlman, for example. I like the concept of uh, of a Reman society, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the fact that it plays on that part of mythology with Romulus and Remans. Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, there's two worlds. But I thought that the Remans looked a little Nosferatu-like. Yes, that's a perfect example of description. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm looking at this thing, and I like. I feel like I'm. I, all these guys need are eyebrows, like that guy on the space vampire on Buck Rogers. <laughs> and I can't take them seriously at that point. Right. So. Um, I like the concept, um, but I'm not sure I liked how they were developed necessarily. I thought that I, I thought there was the real potential for some some great conflict with the Romulan Empire based on the Remans. Um, maybe that that changes the story for Nemesis a bit. You know, maybe the Remans assert themselves and the Romulans themselves need help. Mm-hmm. You know, which brings the Federation in. Sure. Um, maybe that causes a bit of detente or maybe some peace. I, I thought it could have been a, a really good Star Trek-like you know, moment of sorts. Sure. But uh, how about you? Um, 
I, I like the idea that they were, you know, they were their sister planet and they were constantly in the dark type of thing. Um, I do like what you said about how they looked. I think the, the, uh, the description you gave was perfect. I found it very convenient, um, that his right hand man had these powers. Did all of Remans, all the Remans have this? Um, don't know. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, and that gets to a point where, uh, that brings up the point where what I did not like, and I think a lot of it was cut out. Part of it was left in, but the whole mind rape scene of Deanna, because that's that's what it was, is yeah. is something that really puts a cloud over the movie. I think that that was just I that was a that was a tough 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 pill to swallow. I think wholly unnecessary. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not the first time they've done something like that with Deanna. I know again with Deanna doing things again. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, I, I almost think that they added those scenes for Troy to have something to do. Exactly. Now, you know, I, I thought it was executed better in, in in the series. Yes, I agree. Now, on the same note, and we'll get more to things I like, but I did want to bring it in because it's kind of related. One of the things that I did like about this movie was when the crew was meeting Shinzon for the first time in that very dark throne room. Didn't like the darkness, yeah. by the way. Is <laughs> getting he's getting he's coming down the stairs and he's talking and then he sees Deanna and you can see that he this look in his eye and I loved how Riker kind of steps in front to protect her. I thought that was a very well done scene with that husband protecting his wife moment. I really enjoyed that part of that scene where the rest of it was kind of a little eh. Uh it was well done by uh um by Frakes and and Marina, and that worked for me. You know, I, uh, one of the things that really worked for me too is the um, the toast to Data later on after after Data's sacrifice. Yep. You know, in Picard's quarters, where they all you know share a glass of Chateau Picard, and they're talking about um, absent friends mm-hmm. and family and remembrance of Data, and Troy begins to cry, and you know Riker kind of ch- uh, choking back tears of his own recalls the first time he saw data on the holiday. Right. And he's like, what was the song? And then I'm not going to lie. That made me tear up a little bit myself. The first time I saw it back in 2002, because you know, it's like, yeah, yep. you know, it's, I, I get it. It was, it was a really great moment to sort of bring it all full circle. We are on the same page because that was my number one liked moment of this movie was the toast really? at the end. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, um, I thought that, it, there are so many understated moments in that scene that I think really is what sends it over the top mm-hmm. because, you know, it's not overwrought with, Oh my God, it's data. He's gone. It was just very, it was solemn. It was very, you know, um, there was very, they were very much in disbelief and I thought it was very credible. Yeah, I agree. I have three very quick other didn't like moments that I'd like to hit on real quick and see what you think about them. Uh, one of them was, why is it that everybody knows how to fly an alien ship, even though it's written in different languages and so forth? Um, that really, but they can't me. open the door. Yes, exactly. Um, that was one. I felt that unfortunately Riker's character didn't really have much to do in this movie, except protect Deanna and have a fight at the end with, um, uh, Ron Perlman's character that I can't remember the name of, which the Viceroy Viceroy, which I didn't really care for that that well i thought that as a new captain of the titan it just was kind of a weak weak movie for for riker unfortunately um what do you think about that well i i've got a couple of problems with the way riker's portrayed in this movie 
um, or things they gave Riker to do because uh, the, the Frakes, the Frakes and Riker are, are, are amazing both in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've talked about Riker plenty. We've talked about Frakes plenty. But really, the scene that really kills it for me is when it's the fight between the you know the Reman Viceroy and Riker. Yep. And okay, so the Reman's board on the very bottom deck of the Enterprise. Okay, so it's the very the very last deck, sure. the bottom one. Mm-hmm. And Riker and the the vi- the Viceroy wind up in this uh, Jeffrey's tube or whatever it is, suspended on this thing. Where the hell does the Reman Viceroy drop to if they're on the bottom deck of the ship? He falls like 50 feet. Were they upside down? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a very good point. We didn't see him climb up any decks, did we? No. Yeah, that's a riot. Was he? Let's say maybe they went up one deck. Okay. (laughs) 50 feet or more? Come on. Yeah, that the, that fight didn't have a lot of fight to it either. I didn't think. I didn't think it was well choreographed. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Okay, so I have two more things that are of the bigger. I didn't like about it. One yeah. is Thaleron radiation. Why is it that it only took a few seconds for the device to completely wipe out the entire Romulan Empire government controlling body? But it took forever for it to wind up uh, and get ready to disperse on the scimitar. And why can you be right at the device while it's working its magic and not get any of this radiation on you and kill you until it launches? I, I, that was too convenient for me. Does that make sense? I think it's because of the scale. Because, you know, remember earlier in the film, Jordy says the ship is essentially one big Thaleron emitter. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that part that, you know, Data ultimately shoots uh, isn't necessarily the part that's emitting. It's it's the part that's sort of charging. Okay. That's kind of how I look at it in my own mind. All right. I always thought that um, that so was convenient. It would have affected Data necessarily. Right. But it could have affected everybody else. Sure, sure. And that brings me to my last point, which you just brought up. The... The meaningless death of Data in this movie. I thought it was an empty death. Um, Yes, he sacrificed himself, but uh, I just didn't didn't care for the way that that he ended up uh, dying. I didn't didn't care for it at all. You know, I think the problem with the sacrifice of Data is that it's too close to the sacrifice of Spock. You know, there it, it, it's almost as if John Logan had watched Wrath of Khan a few too many times before he wrote this movie, because there were just some some very interesting parallels. Um, you know, when you can put Picard in in the Kirk role and you can put Shinzon in the Khan role, um, because it's that kind of of vengeance that that Shinzon is looking for, which is why it doesn't fit. Um. Unless you, you think about the way that Riker defeats the Viceroy, it's almost kind of like Star Trek Three. Sure. You know, so I, I think that there's just, there's stuff here that we that I feel like we've seen before in other versions, and I think that's why the data sacrifice never worked for me. Okay. And it made it awfully convenient for B4 to start picking up data traits at the end 
to give it that, you know, I, I will say I did like the Picard grin as he was walking away from his, his quarters uh, at the end when he started humming that song or, or whatnot. But I just, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a cheap way to kill off a character, but not really kill him off. Ha ha, we tricked you. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that, that's Even though they advertise this movie as a generation's final journey begins. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, so they're leaving it open, even though we have no intention of making a movie with these characters again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And because of the, and, and my, and from what I've read, and I agree with it, because of this movie, any chance of a DS9 movie or a Voyager movie or a crossover movie was completely flushed down the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. Too bad. But I will say that I loved Shinzon's shiny outfit. That was very cool. And you can see that on the, the album poster. cover this week. Yeah, and the poster for this film was was actually was pretty killer. It was very, very, very good. I liked it. I liked his dagger. Um, we already talked about the crash sequence, which we thought was really good. And but like we've said, we both agree. I think the toast at the end was the one thing that really pulled at your heartstrings and made you appreciate this crew the most was that toast at the end uh, with the crew. You know, probably one of my last qualms with this movie it comes with just some of the decisions for the production in general. And this is probably the one that bugs me the most whenever I watch it. You know, there's a, a scene during the, the battle of the basin rift where, um, one of the Romulan ships commanded by commander Dinatra hails the enterprise and you see her on her bridge. Mm-hmm. And it is so obviously a redressing of the bridge of the enterprise. E. <laughs> I mean, they just, uh, they built new sets for sick bay for this. They built new sets for, uh, um, uh, for a couple of other things, you know, they, they clearly spent some money on this film and the effects. They built a, a freaking go-kart. Well, that's the key, I think. They you know? they spent so much money for the special effects because the special effects were great that I think they cut a lot of things. A perfect example. We were just talking about how much I didn't like that dark throne room. Yeah. Pay for some light bulbs, man. Light it up a little <laughs> bit. And I think that I think that it suffered and that redress is a perfect example of things that suffered as a result of budget cuts, I think, in this movie that took place. Well, I think the only reason that throne room existed was so they could take the, the little two person <laughs> fighter craft through the window. <laughs> like in like in Underworld when the werewolf jumps through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, overall I have to say my view on on Nemesis has softened somewhat. You know, I, I I was disappointed with it when it first came out. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, even even Lavar Burton has said in the past, and Marina's backed him up on this that it sucks. <laughs> and you use those words. Yep. You know, but I just I don't feel that way about Nemesis anymore. I I guess I, I I've I've warmed up to it. It's not a great movie, but it's like you said, it's Star Trek. So, you know, it's. It's it's something I enjoy ultimately when I see it. Unlike some of the other films, like say Generation. Right. I'm glad you said that. Actually, I purposely did not watch it before we recorded. Oh, I, why not? Because I didn't want to have happen what has happened with so many things that I've gone back and watched before the show, softening up to it. I wanted to keep in my mind what I've thought for a long time and discuss it. I may go back and watch it now that we've talked about it and see if it changes, but I wanted those feelings that I originally had and have had for years about the disappointment that I had to really shine through. And I was afraid that if I watched it again with a different mindset, I may have softened up a little bit about it. So I didn't want that to happen. So 
so now you'll probably go back and and watch it. I yes, I definitely think that uh, I'm pretty sure that I will. I will at some point in the near future go back and watch it again just to see if any of those things that I disliked so much. And I think the last time I watched it was maybe six or seven months ago. It was on it was on TV one day, and I kept it on while I was ironing or something. Um, but I want to see if I have those same feelings of dislike in the different areas, or if I'm like, oh, okay, I can see a new take on that. We'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people think this is the worst Star Trek movie ever, and um, yeah, no, I, I can't sign on that. <laughs> no, you're still on I, Generations, I right? <laughs> uh, well, I, I am. I just, I, I don't think this is the worst one. I don't even think it's worse than Star Trek Five. I um I, I think that you know there there are good elements to this movie. There are decent character moments. You know the the first half is is pretty okay. The second half is a little weak, but the third half is ultimately what I think does the movie in in a lot of people's minds. Here's what I think a lot of people may third, feel third, I should say. on why it may be a bad movie. You may have to bleep this. I'm not I'm not sure if I'm going to be bleepable or not. All right. This was a shitty way to send off the TNG cast. Um, yeah, I'll bleep that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, it's unfortunate. They could have gone out a lot better than they did with this movie. And I think that's where I think that's where part of my disdain for the movie is, and probably a lot of other people. If it had been a great send off and final look at this crew that everyone loves so much, it would have been much more well received. And I think that's that's a big part of it for me. Yeah, I, I think ultimately my disappointment in this movie was hinged on the fact that they had advertised it as essentially the last TNG movie. Mm-hmm. You know, if this had been just the next TNG movie and not the final one, um, you know, I, I think I would have been okay with that. Sure. I mean, I know that they didn't intend for it to be the last one and its performance at the box office kind of made it the last one. Right. But, you know, Patrick Stewart has said before that, you know, they were in talks to do a fifth one, you know, with an idea being developed by John Logan for a fifth and final movie. So it would have been interesting to see what happened later on as a real farewell if they had actually done it. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, but you figure it was up against some horrific competition at the box <laughs> office that same week. There was a Lord of the Rings movie, you know, there's, there's all kinds ah, of stuff. Lord of the Rings. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, as much as I, as much as I feel like I shouldn't like this movie, I still kind of like this movie. Okay. I'll see what happens in a couple of weeks when I watch it again. I'll let you know. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear that. Okay. Um, I, um, any final thoughts on Nemesis? Uh, yeah, there's just, you know, it's a, there's a lot of things that I don't like about it. There are a few things that I do. It's it's a it's a sad way to see him go, and you know maybe in my old age I'll feel a little bit better if I watch when I watch it again in the near future. But right now I gotta go with a big thumbs down on it, unfortunately. But it is Star Trek, so I do have to give that part a thumbs up. <laughs> way to just split the middle, buddy. So I'm thumbs up and job. thumbs down at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of split on it. It's, I don't I don't dislike this movie, but I don't love it. Um, ultimately, if it's on, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are still some things that make me go, eh, eh, you know, but, you know, I think there are a lot of missed opportunities. That's what it comes down to. Okay. Sort of like this podcast. Well, yeah, every time you talk. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> oh, and hey, but we did have a Janeway cameo in the movie, so that's great. Yeah, okay. And, and I was also very interesting to see that that was supposed to be Seven of Nine originally. I know. Uh, that would have been much I better know. than Vice Admiral. Yeah, where did that come well, they, from? Just because you got your crew home, you get to become an admiral? Well, they actually wanted Seven on the Enterprise. Yeah. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, Dan, you know what else is really great? Besides you? Uh, well, of course, besides me. I speak, of course, of our great friends, the band Five Year Mission. They are working on year four, the next album in the pantheon Oof. of Five Year Mission recordings. And uh, I am very excited for it. Dan, we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Download all their albums. Really become big fans. If you're going to be at the, the convention in Chicago, you'll get to see them as the house band. Ugh. You know, it's um, we love them. We want you to love them. Fiveyearmission.net. Year one, year two, year three is out. Spock's brain, trouble with tribbles. Am I missing anyone? I, I don't think I, you are. That's great. You know, I, I got a question for you, though, Bill. All those albums yeah. are great. We love them. And they're they're phenomenal. I've always wondered, do you ever wonder where dishonored musicians go when they die? No, you know, I've never wondered this at all. Well, we know that they can't enter Stovacor. They're dishonored musicians, right? Exactly. Right. You know, right. they can never join those honored musicians and play in the Great Hall. No, no, they instead, they travel on the Barge of the Dead, as you remember, to Greythor, to wallow in eternal damnation. But here's the question, Bill. Who rules this terrible place? Oh, my. Yeah. It's Farklar, <laughs> the guardian of Greythor, of course. Abandon all hope, ye who enter. So, wait. Fark is the Klingon devil. Is that what you're telling me? I'm just reading this text, brother. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am Farklar, a Klingon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, I can't wait! To, uh, I can't wait to see his next tweet on this. <laughs> Fark, yeah. I expect a song post haste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you expect another cease and desist post haste. I haven't sung nothing. <laughs> no, just just for your characterizations of, you know, your incredible drummer. <laughs> he is an incredible drummer. We'll give him that. Yeah, and a great guy, despite everything Dan says about. Oh. Him. So anyway, that's fiveyearmission.net. Please go score yourself some tunes. And uh, we thank them, of course, for all the music they let us use on the podcast. Dan, we also want to thank our friend Aaron Harvey. He designed the Trek Geeks Delta that you see in the uh, the brand new show album cover that's on iTunes and adorns pretty much everything we do, like Trek Tuesday and our Facebook page and our Twitter page. Aaron created something just bold and brilliant, and we are so proud to display it. We hope you'll check him out. He's on Twitter at GeekFilter, and you can also listen to his podcast on Trek FM. It's Saturday Morning Trek. Dan, our next episode, speaking of podcasts and podcasters, we're going to welcome somebody to the show that we've been trying to hook up with for quite a while. (laughs) Yeah, uh, for a real long time, we uh, have been trying to make this work. uh, But next week, we are finally going to welcome a longtime fellow podcaster to the show. David Duncan from the Synthaholics podcast is going to be joining us for another fun-filled episode of See It or Skip It. And up next, TNG Season 4 with The Dunkster. (laughs) Did she just call him The Dunkster? I did. (laughs) I hate that. I know he will. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, that's going to be fantastic. It's about time uh, you and I, or I've appeared on Synthaholics to talk Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Dan uh, has an appearance forthcoming someday <laughs> when he can line up schedules, but we're we're pleased as all get out to welcome David to the show next week. It's going to be a great discussion. We have a topic, too. I know. We have a topic. No, for when I'm on his show. Oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> mirror, mirror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was hoping you'd pick Aquiel. <laughs> Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. With less than seven weeks till STLV, Dan, I imagine Shore Leave is going to become even more must-listen than it was before. And, of course, for all the latest news on all the Star Treks, please visit our friends at treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 106 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut it up, man. Coconut it now. Everybody say hoo-ha-hoo-ha. Bye. What was that? That was off the cuff, man. Not as good as Fark, obviously. We made that clear. I I thought you were were, singing coconut as something that was there. You just created that off the cuff? Off the cuff. Nice job. Okay. Bing bong! Bing bong! Oh, hey, watch that. <laughs> That's my mean bing bong. Why, why are you being mean? Okay, all right. Can I can I just start off the, today's outtake with a rant? Why, why start asking now? <laughs> I would like <laughs> to personally um, say that I hope every person in the this country this area everywhere that uses their phone and is looking at it when they driving when they're driving i hope bad things happen to them i'm so tired of seeing that constantly all the time it drives me so it, it drives me crazy crazy you sound like you're about ready to start stammering I, 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 uh, uh, okay i'm all done it's all gone uh, you okay, doing? there, killer. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, that's what's going to happen if I see more people doing that. I'll tell you that right now. Did somebody hit the ridge line? No, no, not at all. It's just, it's just every day going to and from work. You just see these moronic idiots, and they're going to kill somebody. And and part of the problem is law enforcement isn't enforcing the laws. We were just reviewing the law tonight. It's a three hundred and ten dollar fine in Maine to use your device when you're in a vehicle, even if you're at a stoplight stoplight or red light. But just it's just constant and it's just awful. I've uh I've never been nailed by the New Hampshire hands free law, so I have no idea how much it costs. Um I have. <clears throat> <laughs> the week that it went in play in New Hampshire, I was at a red light and I was uh answering my phone at the red light to tell my brother-in-law that we were going to be at the camp in just a few minutes, and the next thing I knew, I had blue lights behind me. Yep. How much did that run you? Uh, it was like like 125 something oh. like that.
Yeah, that, that's nothing compared. When I saw Maine is 310, I was like, oh, whoa. So, but. Well, are those in Maine dollars or like United States dollars? Maine dollars, wood chips, it's all the same. <laughs> wood nickels. Yeah. So for all you people, all the smart people that listen to the show, and they're all smart because they listen to the show. I'm sure they don't do it. But for other people that do, get a clue. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. Flub yeah. <laughs> Hashtag flub yeah. I'm still I'm still not over last week. That was quite fun. <laughs> it was a blast. It was great. It was great. <laughs> Apparently the, the TG1T has been blowed up, yo. <laughs> blowed up. Very nice. Blowed up. Blowed up. And I also saw that they're thinking of dropping season three before Vegas. What? I know. It's it's a it's nothing more than a minor miracle. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. It's not because I asked, that's for sure. No, no I'm sure. <laughs> Why would anybody do anything you ask? I'd have to wait till like 2050. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, love you, Ira. <laughs> oh, it was fun. All right. There, I got all my stuff ready. Look at that, I'm ready to go. Uh. <laughs> My two my two weeks of hell is coming to an end tomorrow. Oh and, yes, and it hasn't been that bad. Knock on wood, it has been very manageable. Things it's been a good couple of weeks. I got to say, I thought it was just going to be hell on earth, but uh, it was great. For those of you wondering, I was my my partner at my job was uh, out for two weeks on a well deserved vacation, so I was flying solo, and I thought it was going to be uh, just bad, but it has not been. I got one more day of it left. Well, that's good. I'm glad that it's been mostly tolerable. Yeah, it's been very tolerable, actually. I've got, actually been able to get things done, which that's is like a first. The first in your career. Yes, it is, actually. Thank you. I appreciate the help there, pal. Because I've worked with you. <laughs> yes, you have. And you've, <laughs> you've stood over me while I was working and, you know, picked up die-cast metal objects and, you know, thrown them on the floor like a football Gronk spike. But th- we won't get into that right now. Oh, are you f***ing kidding me? Uh, that's okay. I hate you so much. Yeah, I hug it every once in a while just to make sure it's okay. How do I, how do I know that's not where the damage came from? <laughs> oh, believe me. You know. You know. That's not something I would lie about. Not my enterprise. No, just everything else. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> love you. Yeah, love you, if too. If everything you say is a lie, then it is not the truth. Illogical. Uh, Illogical. Does not compute. <laughs> Thanks, Norman. Yeah, good old Norm. <laughs> Norm! <laughs> no? No. no. Wrong, wrong no. show. Wrong, wrong show. show. Yep. Wrong not, show. Yeah, no. <laughs> 